Aussies are relocating from capital cities to regional Australia in record numbers. We could give you all the stats about better house prices, all the jobs on offer and higher levels of happiness, but what's better than hearing from someone who's made the move themselves? Welcome to You Moved Where, the podcast where we interview everyday Aussies who have moved from the city to the country. I'm your host, Beck Bignall, a girl from regional Australia who moved to the city and then, you guessed it, back to regional Australia. This is You Moved Where. (laughs) Do you ever think about how the clothes on your back went from imagined idea to arriving in your mailbox? If you happen to own an iris and wool garment, chances are that the story of a very talented woman designing glamorous collections from a dusty working farm will find its way from the hangar into your heart. Emily Riggs doesn't just make clothes. She makes magic, weaving her special story into the very fibre of her pieces, which have made their way into wardrobes all over the world. Emily's wisdom, grit and resolve from childhood trauma has spurred her through life, uprooting her from fashion-obsessed suburban Melbourne, where she was working as a high-powered marketing professional, to the laid-back bush life in Borough in pursuit of love. The startup business Superwoman has covered countless kilometres to take her label from the back paddocks of a sheep station to the front windows of top-end boutiques, all the while raising two kids and working on an operational farming enterprise in a rural community. In Emily fashion, she takes it all in her stride, and she reckons that moving to the sticks doesn't inhibit your dreams, it sets them in motion. Emily Riggs, you moved where? I moved to Borough in South Australia. And where did you move from? I was actually living in Melbourne, uh, Victoria, so it was a big, big change, um, moving to a small town of Borough, but the best thing I've ever done. What took you to Melbourne? I did, uh, I went to uh, Marcus Oldham College, which is in Geelong, Victoria, and I did a horse business management course. And I actually, after I finished that, I went to New Zealand, worked there and all in the thoroughbred racing industry. And then I actually got a job in uh, New South Wales uh, um, at a thoroughbred stud again. And then I was offered a job at Mooney Valley Racing Club in the marketing department there. And what did you love about city life when you lived there? I think probably just the access to so many things you take for granted out in the country now. Um, Just easy to get to the shops, easy to uh, get food. Um, There wasn't Uber, I suppose, back then, but we could get takeaway and (laughs) um, taxis. Yeah, just those things you take for granted living in the city. You met your future husband, Tom. How did that happen? So we actually knew each other at boarding school. Um, We had this little spark, um, but nothing ever eventuated. And then um, about 10 years on, I was at a race meeting in Melbourne, um, all glammed up, (laughs) and he was scrolling Facebook and um, and the photo must have stopped his tracks. And then he messaged me and I message back said, oh, I'm coming back to Adelaide next weekend. Um, Do you want to catch up? (laughs) So he came up to Adelaide and we caught up and the rest is history. So, yeah. So you've fallen for this guy who's a fifth-generation sheep farmer. 
Was there any hard discussions about where you would live, like city or country, and was that a deal breaker for you? How did you feel about that? No, funny. I've always thought I would marry a farmer or live on a, or live on a farm ever since I was little, I suppose. Mum grew up on a farm, so I had that um, in my blood. I loved I've grew up in the regions. So yeah, I just thought I would marry a farmer. I didn't know it would be Tom, but it wasn't a shock to my, shock to my system really. I um I, there was no question, of course. I I thought I just just moved up here, I suppose. Um yeah, a lot of my friends were like cuz when I first started dating Tom, he was living on one of our stations, which is like like everyone thinks it's in the middle of nowhere, but it's really not. It's only half an hour from Barrow. But they're like, what were you thinking when you were going out there visiting him? I was like, well, I didn't really think about it. I just did it. Yeah, it was fine with me. Um, so, yeah, it's funny, people's perceptions. But I was um, very comfortable and ready to move. Was there anything that you had to learn once you did make that jump to living on the farm, you know, permanently? Were there any things that you needed to know you know, and get your head around in regard to the way that that operation works or how you fit into it? Yeah, I suppose I had a bit of a fairy tale vision of what farm life would be. I'd just obviously gone to my grandparents' farm and just like help, didn't really help out. I got to ride horses and um, just all those fun kind of things. But then, yeah, I didn't realise how hard they work and um, what they actually have to go through. They have to, um, Mother Nature controls controls it a fair bit and they have to deal with droughts. And, yeah, we're probably two or three years into me moving up here, we hit the like worst drought in history and um, just to watch that was pretty devastating for not only my husband but my father-in-law who'd um, worked this land all his life and he'd never experienced anything like it. So, yeah, I definitely had this idea of what it would be like, but it's reality, yeah, it's a lot different. <laughs> but it's um, such a fabulous uh, place to be living and bringing up. We've now got two kids. Um, yeah, so very lucky. And I suppose, you know, every farm has its own unique specialisation. Like in your case, it was wool or it is wool. As someone who's grown up on a, a sheep farm, I know that sheep have a very, you know, it, there's a knowledge that you need to know about them. Like, for example, when we bring people down and try and get them into some sheep work and they always stand in front of the mob. <laughs> it's like, no, they're not going to move. Like all of the, the things that you pick up, I guess it's much like with horses, you know, there's a particular language for the particular animal. How did you get your head around everything sort of sheep related, especially given the business that you go on to create focuses on wool? What was that like for you to learn about sheep and wool? Yeah, I I suppose as you said, with the horses, I sort of had an understanding. Like, yeah, you don't stand in front of them, in front of them if you want them to go through a gate. Um, and I always watched my uncles and that work with sheep and I know how frustrating they can be. Um, <laughs> so I'm definitely not a natural with them. I'm a bit unco, like I'm not a coordinated person. So. But, um, uh, yes, the more you work with them, the easier it gets and I s- sort of have an idea of what I'm doing, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to go out and drench a whole a whole mob of, mob of sheep myself or anything like that. I reckon you would <laughs> because you can do anything. But I also think it's really special that you have such a direct 
relationship with the animals themselves because obviously wool is the foundation of the business that you went on to create. Tell me about fashion. You first felt a buzz for fashion when you were 10 years old. Why at this age did it, did it resonate with you? Yeah, um, I was actually diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a cancer of the lymph nodes. And at that same time, mum was in the battle of her life with breast cancer. Um, <laughs> um, oh, the amount of times I say it, I still cry, sorry. <laughs> and so I knew I, when the doctor walked in, I knew what he was saying when he said, oh, Emily's got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and the first thing I said was, oh, no, I don't want to lose my hair, as a almost 10-year-old does. <laughs> um, yeah, a year into my treatment, mum actually lost her battle. She was only 43. I was, um, I, mean, I did, I ended up, I did lose my hair <laughs> and a lot of um, people just assumed I was a boy because of the short hair and um, in all these gawky clothes <laughs> and then I and wearing a cap or whatever and I, I just looked like a boy and then I suppose that was when I turned to fashion and I, I loved dressing up and um, kind of was a I suppose a shield to what I was actually going through and um, yeah so looking back then was probably when my first seeds of my business Iris and Wool were planted and then uh, fast forward 20-odd years, I uh, marry my hot farmer husband who's <laughs> a merino sheep producer and I fell in love with wool as well and it's a beautiful, natural, renewable, biodegradable fibre that, um, yeah, it's incredibly incredible that it's grown off a sheep's back uh, and then you can turn that into a jumper and so I just thought ignorance is bliss that why not create iris and wool and here we are in my fifth year of business and it's been such a rewarding journey so far. Your story is so powerful because the tragedy that you've had to walk through and your uh, resilience and strength, obviously resilience is quite an overused word, but I think just as someone who watches on and admires what you've achieved. Um, I have a very sincere understanding and respect, especially having become a mother. And um, and business itself is a really challenging thing to have to, um, you know, get into and approach. And you, no one really can give you the rule book on what it's like to manage your own business. You started Iris and Wool and it's really boomed over the years. It's been supported by some amazing organisations like Buy From The Bush, an online platform that highlights you know, amazing products and businesses in the bush. How has the regional business community supported you? Oh, it's actually been incredible, really. Um, Buy From The Bush, I was lucky to be featured when they first started in, and it was my first year of business. So, I got access to a lot of uh, a customer base that I wouldn't have if they weren't around and, uh, yeah, gave me media attention. I got to go to Sydney and sell to all the city people in Sydney and, yeah, I'll be forever in debt to them. Um, and then the the Grazy Her community, who's a fabulous um, magazine, they um, – have featured me a lot and supported me. The Rural Room have. They, uh, you were very 
supportive my, when I was beginning some Wool, so thank you. And just the wool-growing community, I think, really love what I'm trying to do. They can, they can, I suppose they can relate to me because I'm, I'm on a farm, I'm married to a farmer, and I'm trying to do the best I can to promote the fabulous qualities of Australian merino wool. Um, like I'm actually heading over to Western Australia on Friday to the Darken Sheep Fest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm speaking at that which is an incredible opportunity and very grateful. It's just I think the wool producer, all the wool growers um, are, have been fabulous. I can't thank them enough and I think I'm, I'm hope, hopefully I'm doing them proud and, um, yeah, getting the fibre out there, out to the masses and showing that farmers actually do care for our, the animals. You know, you wear so many hats. You're not only orchestrating all of the fundamentals of the business, the design, the creativity, the logistics, but you're also the face of the business. So you're telling the story, you're speaking, you're going to so many different events. How do you manage all of those different things, especially being a mum as well? I'm personally (laughs) very interested in how you manage to do it all. Well, yeah, the the juggle is real. Um, my house is always a pigsty. <laughs> so I'm not, and I'm not the most organised person. But I don't know. You just kind of it just gets done, I suppose. And I try and take every opportunity that comes my way. And I have a very supportive husband and in laws. They pick up the slack with the kids. And we're lucky here. We've well, my son's just started school this year um, and then my daughter we have daycare um, or rural care it's called here um, so my daughter goes there three days a week and I've actually just employed someone two days a week so um, I'm feeling like the weight's lifting a bit off the shoulders <laughs> and I'll be able to get out there more and I still get mum guilt you know I just feel guilty away being away a fair bit um, I am tired <laughs> but um, it's just so rewarding what I do. I don't feel like it's a job. Very grateful I can do what I can do. But, yeah, it's not as glamorous as it may look. <laughs> um, starting a small business in the regions is in itself like a huge achievement. I suppose Tom obviously runs an enterprise with his family, so you would have had access to watching that happen. But where did the inspiration come from to start the business? Yeah, good question. Um, I just wanted to do something for myself, I suppose, and um, I, I just had belief in myself, I suppose, and I have had good a good support system around me, um, good mentors, and it's, yeah, it's just, I suppose you just, there are mistakes you make, but you learn along the way, and um, I just really believe in what I'm trying to achieve. Hope I'm hope I'm going for many years to come. Grace, the producer, and I were also talking and we were sort of having a look at everything online. Your products are just incredible and I can attest to the quality because we have some that feature in Homespun that Heather Mitchell and Claire Vanderboom wear and they just come up so beautifully. It's not just a fashion label. You've got incredible taste. So you're on trend. You're keeping up with the fashion um, that's happening kind of globally. Tell me how you kind of participate in the fashion world from where you are in Barra. Oh, I um, I try and travel around a bit to uh, different 
events and do pop-ups and um, I suppose with the online with online with the internet it's easier to um, showcase and get get your name out there and with social media it's easy and I suppose I've kept my followers I've shown like all all my um, rawness as well so I, I feel like I'm more than just a fashion brand I'm a lifestyle brand I suppose I um, share my story with them and I feel like they feel that they can speak to me I do all the social media so it's me speaking it's my way of I suppose it's my unique point of difference compared to all my competitors I can so that I think I believe that's how I've been able to grow and cut through what is really a saturated market but you can't just sit behind the screen you have to get yourself out there and public speaking used to be like my worst nightmare but now I actually quite enjoy it so so it's, it's true the more you do it the easier it gets and yeah and I think you're so generous in sharing your story because having that visibility and having that access to someone like you who is being really vulnerable is really helpful for people who are going through a similar experience and also like you say it gives a very personal quality to the story um your business name has a very special connection can you please tell me where does iris and wool come from the iris was mum's favorite flower so that's why i've used iris and then the wool is obviously for the wool and just makes it Obvious that it's merino. Well, doesn't make it obvious that it's merino wool, but it's um, just a nod to the fibre. Um, yeah, and we also have donated to the McGrath Foundation in honour of Mum. Also donating, I've made these little children's beanies, and I'm donating them to um, all the newly cancer-diagnosed children in South Australia to a charity called the. Um, Childhood Cancer Association. Um, they create hospital bags that they give to all the new families that have been diagnosed, and they're going to pop my beanie in those hospital <laughs> bags. And then I'm also going to donate a dollar from each sale to them as well. I think it's really incredible that you've built community around the brand as well. So it's not just, like you say, a fashion label. There is all these different links and connections and people that are involved in the whole world of iris and wool and that's you know remarkable because i feel like that's probably a bit of a point of difference in the world of fashion what did it feel like the very first time that you saw someone wearing your clothes when you were out in the wild i still have to pinch myself when i see someone out yeah i've seen i had a doctor or my husband did something or tom did something to his shoulder when he was playing footy and this was a couple of years ago we had to take him to the Adelaide to the hospital there to the doctor and I was wearing one of my jumpers and as soon as she walked in well as soon as I walked in she said to me oh are you wearing some iris and wool is that some lovely iris and wool I was like yes I am iris and wool <laughs> um, and then last year I was just like randomly driving in Adelaide side street somewhere and there was someone literally just walking on the side of the road in Iris and Wall. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty cool. It's not just people out in the wild that are wearing your clothes. Em, in April 2021, Mia Friedman did a video entry of your clothing and shared it to her huge Mamma Mia platform. What was it like when you saw that video and all the views and shares and comments? Wow, that was insane. That was like a real 
a real moment for the business. I I sold out. Like in, she featured these jeans that I did, which are merino denim jeans, and I sold out over a hundred orders in a day, and just the reach, the um, influence that she has is incredible. She's a real powerhouse, and it's a credit to her for what she, her brand she's built. She's yeah, she's very much a role model for me. Um, again, I'm be forever in debt to her, who was just insane. <laughs> I mean, you're so humble, but what an experience to have, you know, a creation that you've come up with in your mind, then you've created it, you've taken it out into the community and it's been so well received um, very organically. What do you draw from in your regional setting to help inspire the pieces that you create and the vision of the business? Yeah, it's definitely my lifestyle that influences me. I um I, well, I do look to what's going on in the Northern Hemisphere because they're obviously a season ahead of us, but it's definitely all um, I, def- I design for, <laughs> for what I like, um, which I need to start designing because I'm quite tall and I get a lot of people emailing me, oh, can you please make this dress shorter? I was like, okay, I'll do that. I need to remember to do that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, in all honesty, it's, yeah, I just looked, I just wanted to, want people to be able to wear it forever and being wool, it does last forever or for a long time if you look after it. Yeah, it's just, I suppose, my whole being here in Barra is a huge influence. And how important was sustainability to you when you were starting your fashion business? Yeah, I, I feel like the future of fashion is like all traceability, sustainable, natural fibres, um, it's the yeah, it's the way of the future, and that Gen Z that's what they want, um, and it's very important, I suppose, to be. Where it's and it's just nicer to wear natural fibers, like they breathe, they um, you don't feel all clammy, and I think it's yeah, it's just important to have that in the back of your mind when you're designing and um, creating pieces, because obviously there's a lot of fast fashion that goes on out there. Tell me about Borough. What is it like to live there? What do you do on a standard Saturday in Borough? I'd love to hear more about that community. Borough's beautiful. It's a, actually a historic town. It's got beautiful old buildings. It was a mine back in the day. It was booming. Um, it's a copper mine. It was like, apparently it was, a, it, was a big, it was as big as Adelaide back in the day. Um, it's beautiful. We've got a yeah, like I said, all the old historic buildings. We've got an area school, which is good for the kids. Um, sport, like being in a community, people, they love their, their footy and netball. Um, yeah, it's just a pretty a very supportive town, which ha- is actually quite a um, touristy town, so we get a lot of visitors throughout the year. And you're also obviously in South Australia, you're very close to the wine region. Often the South Australian regions are romanticised for being wine country and that sort of thing. But what does the bush represent to you as someone who actually lives there and works there and it's your whole life? Oh, it's just, I think, the freedom, the um, fresh air, like I'm just looking out now and I've got horses, I'm looking at them, then I can see some sheepies. And I think, yeah, it's just you can breathe, I suppose, and it's... um, yeah, almost therapeutic and just so beautiful to live in and very lucky for to bring kids up in this 
region too. Um, they can. I've got my peacocks looking in at me at the moment. I just saw them. <laughs> <laughs> it was perfect timing. They just walked past the window as you were talking about like <laughs> freedom. Freedom. You've talked about your hot farming husband. <laughs> I hate me saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Tom. Talk me through like the strength of partnerships and teams you know family family teams when you're living in a place like Barra it's vital I think I, I wouldn't be able to be doing Iris and Wool without my um, family support um, thing and being on a farm they all they, we're all like as a team we work together so we we obviously they are like my husband and father-in-law they have their little quarrels as everyone does but um no on a whole they're very so yeah just it's actually beautiful to watch really because you don't really you don't you wouldn't get that in the city yeah the strength of family and getting that opportunity to be so close to them is so special like you say What's his social life there? Do you have a good group of friends and community that you can enjoy in those precious five minutes of time that you actually get to do something social for yourself? Yeah, we do actually. Um, I was lucky. Tom had his own. He had his this group of boys that all grew up together and went to boarding school together. Now they're all back on the farm, and they all have now got partners as well so um, we definitely have a pretty good social life and yeah my hangovers are probably not not so good anymore um, getting older no we have it we have a good time and make sure that we're catching up with other people and get out of our routine and just to yeah let our hair down a bit and have some fun and and good for the kids too because they're all kids around the same age too so it's good for them to catch up and play and yeah so we're pretty lucky in that way too. And also you're such a an aspirational role model for your children how do you hope that that influences them in particular your daughter in regard to her future aspirations? Yeah I think it's it's quite it's good to say, for them to say that I do work and um, Sam actually <laughs> work for my I do my own thing um Sam actually thought my name was Iris and Wool when he was little (laughs) that's a bad thing um yeah I think he's quite proud he um he's like I need to give Santa some Iris and Wool (laughs) next year all right I'll put that on the list and make him a jumper um (laughs) so cute uh but with Lucy I think yeah I just want them to know that they can do anything they want they don't have to come back onto the farm although we would love them to do that and the the options there for them but yeah they definitely can explore their own loves and interests and know that we'll support them in whatever they want to do and support their dreams and hope that they're happy and you're a great example of someone who is reaching the dizzy heights of dreams from within a very regional um, community. So it's amazing that you can offer that visibility to them and to many other regional people out there who are thinking about having that level of ambition and wondering if it's possible to do from within a regional community. Em, what is the future of Iris and Wool? Where do you want to take the business from here? Well, I'm, I really want to get it into David Jones. Uh, that's that's my next goal. Um, I believe it would be so well received there and um, 
having a natural my story as well it would help sell and I just want to get it into the like the bigger audience to promote the fabulous qualities of Australian merino wool and then of course I also want to go global but I need to take small steps <laughs> I tend to tackle things like a bull at a gate so and can you give us a little bit of inside knowledge for the winter collection for 2023 what has been the inspiration and I'm also really interested in understanding how the seed of the idea is then woven into the things that you create and also supported by that story that's at the roots that underpin iris and wool. Can you talk me through that? Yeah, this collection or the Autumn Winter 23, I shot the, uh, we did the campaign shoot last yesterday actually, so excited to see the images. But this collection is very, very special because it's, it's we're calling it the Provenance Collection and it's because uh that, the batch of wool used in these pieces, some of our Mercury branded wool is in this batch, so it's a real farm-to-fashion story. Um, and the, it was just great. The meal, the meal I use, he bought 128 bales of our wool at auction in Melbourne and I've been able to watch the whole process of it being shipped. It's, over, it's shipped over to China, the actual wool, then it gets cleaned and scoured and um, made into yarn and then into the um, the jumpers. So, yeah, so it's a very, very exciting milestone for Iris and Wool and even Tom and father-in-law and mother-in-law, they're very excited. They can actually see that this is where their wool ends up and how it how it's built. So it's a real um, back to, I suppose you can say, back to our roots um, collection. It's bigger than what I've done before. Yeah, hopefully well received. (laughs) What a tangible expression of that whole journey. I really can't wait to see this collection, Em. That's so exciting. It's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, you sort of hear around the traps that people sort of assume that country people get around in, you know, flannel flannelette shirts and things like that. What is your influence, do you think, on the way that people perceive regional people and what you can wear and being proud of your appearance and things like that? Uh, yeah, I just feel like, yeah, there is that perception that we go around in the Akubras and <laughs> everything. Just believe nowadays you can wear what you want, really. You can wear what makes you happy, what what you feel good in, and I love that. I love that we can do that. And what do you feel like you might have given up and what have you gained by moving from the city to Borough? Probably what I've probably given up is maybe some friendships. I've had to, it's just been hard with the distance and, yeah, I guess that would have happened anyway with kids and everything. Your time gets limited. But I've definitely, well, I've gained so much moving to the country. I've um, married my hop farmer. I've got two beautiful kids. <laughs> um, I've got iris and wool that brings just so much joy and I feel like I've I've just been given this confidence I've never had before by living in the regions and it's just a great, great way to live and um, bring your children up. Yeah, <laughs> getting a bit emotional there. <laughs> yeah, it's making me emotional too. It's a pretty good segue into the final question really, which is if you were to pitch living regionally to people in the city, what would you say? 
just do it <laughs> and come and come and experience it. It's uh, just the best, really. I feel like you you wouldn't look back. You'd think, why was I living in the city <laughs> when I have all this beautiful space and a beautiful community? And um, yeah, just do it. Em, thank you so much for your time today. It's just been such fascinating journey to go on with you and very emotional as well. I think what you have overcome in your life and the example that you set for all of us in the regions is incredibly powerful. Thank you for being so generous with sharing your story because I know that that can take a lot of energy, which as a mum and a business owner, a wife and all the other roles that you play um, is incredible that you can manage all of that. So thanks for joining us today, Em. Thanks so much for having me, Beck. You Moved Where is made on the land of the Kenyang people, with Emily Riggs joining us from the land of the Nadjuri people. We would like to acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the traditional custodians of the land and pay respects to Elders past and present. This episode was produced by Grace Fruvray and hosted by me, Beck Bignall. Make sure you follow us wherever you get your podcasts because on next week's episode, you'll hear stories like this. And I didn't really understand like what this Australia was or, you know, as a foreigner, like what I perceived Australia to be until the first time we went to the country. When you can stand on the back of a ute and just look out towards the horizon, you know, and see sort of the bend of the earth, like that feels like the real Australia. I don't know. You Moved Where is brought to you by www.movetomore.com.au and the Regional Australia Institute. Move to More is supported by the Australian Federal Government and if you head to www.movetomore.com.au you can search almost 2,000 regional towns and cities to find your favourite regional destination and in the same place, find your dream home and job. <laughs>